Come on, come on. This is going to be the best day of my life. This is going to be the best day of your life if you choose for it to be. You with me? It can be the best day of your life if you choose for it to be because you are indeed in control of whether or not this is going to be the best day of your life. You can't control what happens to you, but you can control what happens in the way that you respond to what happens to you. You with me? Yeah. Well, hey, we're near the end of January. How many of you have quit your resolutions? Come on, make some noise. Be loud and proud about it. You're a quitter. Just say it. Woohoo! No. Okay, all right. How, how many of you, you didn't even make a resolution? You were like, I'm not going to do it anyway, so I just didn't. Is that anybody? How many of you, you're going strong in your resolutions, right? You're, you're getting thinner. You're getting out of debt. You've quit smoking. You've, you've organized your time better, right? Where's all my resolution keepers? Make some noise. You should be loud and proud about it. Nice. That's what's going on. Well, um, man, this is a time of year where we make resolutions, uh, and the reason why we make resolutions is because we want to see a revolution take place in our life. We, we say, I'm resolving to do something different because I want to see something different take place in my life. So we make a resolution because we want to see a revolution. And if we could just follow through on our resolution, we really would see a revolution, like, our life would drastically change. I mean, just imagine, you, if you got out of debt, you started paying off the credit cards, you cut them up, you started living on a budget, and you started getting out of debt, if you were completely debt-free, that would change your life, wouldn't it? Revolution. If you lost 20 pounds of fat or you gained 20 pounds of muscle, that'd change everything for you, wouldn't it? Revolution would take place in your life. If you were able to figure out how to manage your time better, so you realize, I got the same amount of time everybody else does, but I'm managing it better now because they seem to have all the time in the world. They don't really, but they figured out how to manage it. But if you could figure out how to manage your time better and you got organized and started achieving some things and started winning at some things, that would revolutionize everything, wouldn't it? It would change everything for you. And so we make resolutions because we want to see a revolution take place in our life. However... For so many of us, we quit just before the revolution takes place. Because how many of you know that losing weight is hard? How many of you know that getting out of debt, creating a budget, cutting up the credit cards, saying no to our wants, wishes, and desires is hard? See, it is difficult to get organized. It is difficult to quit smoking. It is difficult to do the thing that we long for. And because it's hard, because it's difficult, because it's a challenge, we often quit just before the revolution takes place. And when we do that, we go back to the same old, same old. We go back to how we were living before. And then we wait another 345 days because we already tried it for 20 days and it didn't work. We wait till next year to go in the cycle all again. I don't want that to happen this year. Because here's the deal. If you've quit already, how many of you know you can start back over? See, what happens is oftentimes we quit and then we say, well, I just can't do it. And then, and then you can start back over. You don't have, just because you failed, it doesn't mean you're a failure. You can get back up and keep going because you, you made the resolution for a reason. You made the resolution because you want to see a revolution. And so today, here's my hope today is that I would inspire you to do the thing that you long to do to see the thing that you long to see. And I want to submit to you this morning that God has a plan for your life. That God has a plan for your life. And here's what God's plan is. The definition of God's plan is this. God's plan is God's preferred future for your life. The plan of God is his preferred future for your life. He has a future that he wants you to walk in. But how many of you know that just because God has a plan for your life, it doesn't mean that it will actually happen in your life? See, God has a preferred future for your life. But in order for his preferred future to come to fruition, it requires your participation. God's plan is not going to happen in your life if you don't participate. We got to get involved and get in the game. And so often what happens is um, we want to live out God's plan. And we say, God, what is your plan? And uh, he reveals it to us through his word. He reveals it to us uh, how he wants us to live, but we don't always participate. And so today, I want to encourage you to get in the game. 
Because you can't be a sideline spectator and see God's plan play out in your life. You got to get involved. Not only does God have a plan for your life, but God has a plan for the world. See, God has a plan for your life, and he also has a plan for the world. There's something bigger going on, and God invites us to partake in that plan that he has for the world. God invites us to be part of this adventure, but in order for us to partake in this plan that God has for the world, we got to get on board with the plan God has for our life, right? If you don't get involved in the plan God has for your life, his preferred future for your life, there's no way you'll ever get involved in his plan for the whole world. God wants to use you to do something greater than just you. So often, can, can, I, I, I'm feeling myself today. Can, can I preach a hard sermon today? Can I do that? Okay, good. I'm going to do that. So, even if you said no, I'm going to do that. So here's the deal. God has a plan for your life, his preferred future for your life. You got to get on board with that. Because once you get on board with that, the next level he's calling you to is to get on board with his plan for the world. And that's so much grander, so much greater, so much bigger than just God bless me, God help me, God give me a promotion. God, that, That's us stuff. God wants to take us to something even greater. And I want to invite you into that plan today. And if you're here today and you're, you're not a Christian, man, I am so honored that you're here. We started this church with you in mind. We started this church for people who had never set foot in a church. We started this church for people who aren't church people. And so I am so glad that you're here. Today, though, I want to really address those of you who, who claim Christianity. And so if you're not a Christian, man, you get to sit back and you get to listen to this and you get to say, yeah, y'all need to do that, right? Or you, you also get to sit back and hopefully be inspired, to say, I want, in, I want in on that. I want to be a part of a movement like that, of a revolution like that. And so God has a plan for the world. And God's plan for the world is Christianity. Uh, Christianity is not some religion. However, for so many of us, Christianity has become this just religion where, where we show up uh, somewhere on a Sunday morning, and it's this ritual that we engage in week in and week out or when, whenever we have time. And so we show up. We're, we're part of this. Church becomes a, a list of preferences for so many people. And so, so I show up to this place because I like it. They got pretty good music. They got something good for my kids. The preacher, he's okay. So, you know, I'll show up and I'll, and I'll listen. And then I'm going to sit for a while. And if I don't like what's being said or I'm challenged, then I'll just go sit in another service somewhere else on a Sunday at another church. And then I'll keep going through that cycle until I find something that's convenient for me, something that meets my needs, something that... This is how a lot of people look for churches. What is it for me? What meets my needs? What can I get from it? But... God has a greater plan for the church. And if you're a Christian, you are part of the church. Sometimes Christians will say this, well, I can be a Christian and not go to church. That doesn't make sense to me. Because you can't go to something that you are. Right? The church is not something you go to. The church is who you are. The church is a gathering of people who have rallied around a mission which is called a movement. The church is a movement. The church is a revolution to change the world. And so if you're a Christian, and you say, well, I'd be a Christian and not go to church, you, you've missed it. You've misunderstood what it means to be the church. Because the church is a gathering of people rallied around a mission, which is a movement, and we spark a revolution. And so we come together to gather, to get our marching orders, so that we can go out this week and be the light of God in a dark world. That's what the church is. And, and, and Jesus had this amazing vision of a church that goes beyond just showing up for a Sunday ritual and hearing a sermon and then going to lunch afterwards. Here, here's the, the vision that Jesus had for the church. Matthew 16, 18, he said this. On this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of death will not overcome it. Jesus is talking to his followers. He said, hey, on this rock-solid truth, this is what he means when he says on this rock, on this rock-solid truth that I am the Son of God. Because he asked Peter, one of his followers, he said, who do you say that I am? And Peter said, you're the Son of God. And Jesus said, on this rock, essentially saying, on the truth that you just said that I am the Son of God. Which, can I just pause real quick and say, this is what Christians believe. We believe that Jesus 
is the Son of God. That means that we believe that there is a God. And not this God in this small little box that we go to and say, bless me, bless me help me, whatever. But the God of the universe, who created all things by speaking it into existence. We believe in an all-powerful God, an all-knowing God. A God who holds our past, present, and future in his hand. A God who knew that whatever it is you're facing that's stressing you out and freaking you out right now, he knew that that was coming. And even though it caught you by surprise, it didn't catch him by surprise. And so he's bigger than that. He can overcome that if you'll just trust him and follow him. So we believe that there's a God. And we believe that Jesus is the Son of God, that God put on flesh. He was born of a virgin. He lived a perfect life, a life we can't live, ultimately to die the death that we deserve on the cross. And then, after he died, this is what we believe, that Jesus was buried in a tomb, in a cave. A stone was rolled over. And he was there, dead, for three days. And nobody resuscitated him. He came back to life, not because somebody performed CPR on him. But he resurrected himself. He came back from the grave. This is a miracle. We believe that Jesus is the son of God who resurrected from the dead. Oh, my goodness. This is, oh, yeah, yeah, we've heard that story before. Oh, that's a good one. Oh, I got, are you kidding me? Listen, listen, listen. This isn't in my sermon. I just need to tell you this. My, my, my coach, his name is Tim. He went to Sri Lanka last week. And they did this revival, like this old school revival in Sri Lanka. And he was like, man, we're hoping. And, and this is a place that they never heard about Jesus. They never heard about God. They never heard about the gospel. They did this revival. And they were like, man, we're hoping that 600 people would show up. The first night, 1,200 people showed up. The next night, 1,500 people. The next night, 1,800 people. No lie. If I'm, if I'm lying, I'm dying. He said that people came and were healed. I'm a skeptic. I'm like, for real? Y'all didn't just stage that? Again, these were people. They didn't go to a tent revival before. They don't know about, hey, pretend that you're. No, like, these, he, said, he, he said it was crazy. Like, like, people who were blind could see. Like, I heard that, and I was like, oh, my. Is that, that's for real? I'm a pastor, y'all. I should know that. I was like, that's real? He, he said, we, we prayed for people and demons came out of them. I was like, you, you joke, that doesn't really happen. It, he was like, I didn't believe it either. But I saw it. I was like, they didn't like, hey, pretend you got a demon. No, like they don't even know what that stuff is. And, and then he said, and then he said, and then he said, and then he said, the guy who was preaching, he was telling them the story about um, uh, this woman who's caught in adultery. And the people bring this woman who's caught in adultery. This isn't in my sermon, y'all. Y'all taking away from my time for me to tell y'all this. Listen. But he brings these, in, in the scriptures, they, the people bring this woman who's caught in adultery and they say, she deserves to be stoned to death. She deserves to die, Jesus. What do you say? And Jesus says, the first one of you who's without sin, go ahead and cast the first stone. And then all the people leave. And it's just Jesus and the woman. And the guy is preaching. And he said that Jesus said to the woman, who condemns you? She said, no one, sir. And he said, I don't condemn you either. Tim told me when the preacher told this crowd of people who had never heard this story before, the words of Jesus, I don't condemn you either. He said they erupted in applause. How amazing is that? This woman was forgiven. They heard it for the first time. Oh my goodness, what? It blew them away, the kind of grace that was shown to them. I preached to you, Jesus rose again from the dead, and one person says, yeah. And then we're all like, okay. Oh man, can I just say, how familiar have we gotten with God that we take him for granted Oh, I have heard that before. Are you moved? Oh, man, if you're a Christian, are you moved when you hear that Jesus hung on the cross for you? For your sin, for your shame, to remove the regret from your life. Do you hear that and you say, thanks? Or does it move you to tears that he would 
he would do that for me. Oh, but then the best news of the story is that he was buried, but he didn't stay dead. He rose again from the grave. He conquered the grave. He conquered hell and death. Can you hear that and not rejoice? Oh, man. So often we just hear that and it's like, all right. Oh, God, would you restore our awe in you? Would you restore our wonder? Oh, would we be moved by this message? Oh, man. Back to my sermon. So, so Jesus rose. This is what I believe. Jesus says, based on this rock-solid truth that I am the Son of God, I will build my church. And the church isn't a building. The church is the people. When you showed up today, you didn't show up to church. You brought the church here to Skate House. Jesus said, I'm going to build my church. The church is a movement. The church is a revolution. And he said this, that the gates of death will not withstand it. The gates of death will not withstand it. Here's what Jesus is saying about us, about you, Christian, because you are the church. He's saying you are the kind of people who storm the gates of hell because gates are defensive. I used to think, oh, yeah, it's like the imagery I had was like, like death is coming at us. And it's like, yeah, we're going to beat you down. And we're Christians, we're like, yeah, we're going to stand strong. You can't beat us down. That's not the picture. The picture of the church is that we storm the gates of death. And we pound against them, and we knock them down. He said, the gates of death won't prevail. Gates are defensive measures. Gates aren't advancing. The picture Jesus paints of the church is that you and I are advancing against death. We're pounding down the gates, and we're taking ground for God. We're going into darkness, spreading light, and saying, devil, you're not going to have my wife. You're not going to have my kids. You're not going to have my family. You're not going to have my co-workers, but I'm claiming them. I'm snatching them from the flames, showing them who Jesus is. This is the picture of the church. This is what we've been called to, but some of us can't even show up if it rains. Are you with me? This is the picture Jesus gives us the church. This is what he invites us to, to be a part of. He, he says this, Matthew 28, 18, Jesus has been crucified, resurrects. He meets with his disciples on top of this mountain, and he says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. I hold everything in my hands. I am all powerful. Nothing scares me. Nothing intimidates me. I knew it was coming before it ever came. Now, I'm with you. I got your back. I'm beside you. And because of that, go and make disciples of all nations. Hey, people who follow me, go into all the world and teach people to obey everything I've commanded you. Can I ask you, how are you doing at teaching people to obey everything God has commanded you? This is God's higher plan for the world that he's inviting us to. Some of us, again, for us to get on that plan, we got to get involved with God's plan for our own life. Because we're like, I'm just trying to make it. I'm just trying to... God has a bigger plan he's inviting you to. And then John 3, 17, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. God has a plan to revolutionize this world, and it involves us. It involves me and you storming the gates of death. It involves us going into all the world. It involves us showing people that Jesus didn't come to condemn the world, but to save it. And this is a revolution of Christianity. This is a revolution of hope. It's a movement of love. It's an onslaught of grace. Because of this, you and I, if you're a Christian, you can't be an uninvolved onlooker. A revolution won't take place if we're idle eyewitnesses. But for us to participate in the plan of God means that we got to get in the game. We have to aid with our involvement. We have to push past our discomfort and daringly display ownership in the revolution of God. And we can't do that by sitting in a seat on Sunday morning. If that's all our Christianity is, we got to take what we gather in the seat. And live it in our life tomorrow. And you got to realize, man, God is calling you to something greater.
God's calling you to something bigger. There's something bigger going on. But you got to get on board with God's plan for your life to partake in it. I want to give you just, just a few ways that you can do that. My time's running down. I only got like eight, 80 minutes, so I got I to gotta hurry up. I'm just joking. We won't be here that long. But some of you are like, oh, my goodness, what did I get myself into? Here's, here's some ways that, that you get involved with the plan God has just for your life. It's by engaging in what we call the four Gs. Growth, groups, gifts, and giving. Growth is that you own your growth. You say, you know what, I'm going to wake up, I'm going to spend time with God. And, and part of what we have in basic seven is that you wake up before the sun and spend time with God. Here's why we say that. We want to help you create a morning routine, but also because what I know is if you're like me, if I try to wait to spend time with God later, I won't, I won't do it. I won't fit it in. Too many other things are going to be vying for my time. So for me, I got to wake up before the sun, before the chaos of the day, and be with God and sit in his presence and allow him to speak to me. So growth is... God, I'm going to spend time with you. I'm going to read your word. I'm going to pray to you. And then I'm going to share what you're doing in my life with other people. So growth is, I'm going to share what you're doing in my life with other people. I'm going to invite them to come be part of the revolution that I'm a part of. Hey, would you come sit with me on Sunday? Would you just come and see? So growth is, I'm going to spend time with God, and I'm going to let other people know about it. And then I'm going to invite them to be part of the revolution. That's growth. Groups. Groups is understanding, I can't do this alone. I need other people. I've tried to do stuff on my own, but there's so many things that I can't carry, so I need others. So it's getting involved in a group. And you can come on a Sunday and sit in a row, and you're going to be an anonymous stranger. Nobody knows your story. But when you get in a group, in a circle with others, now you got support. And so we have four different groups that are going on right now. we got one on Monday night, one on Wednesday night, meeting every single week. We're going to be starting Financial Peace University. It begins this Tuesday, if you haven't signed up for that. And then we have a group that meets every other Thursday. We have plenty of groups for every single person in here. If you're not currently in a group, man, you're missing out. Lone wolves die. We can't do this alone. So there's a step for you to take right there. Get involved in a group. Sign up on our app. We'll give you another chance to download it so you can sign up. Another way that you get involved with God's plan in your life is to serve. Gifts. God has given you gifts, abilities, and talents to make a difference in the lives of other people. And we give gifts, not bury them. If you're not serving within God's church, the church you're part of, you're burying your gift. God made you to be a gift to humanity. You are God's gift to the world. And if you're not using your gifts, we suffer. Because you got some stuff we need. You got some stuff that'll make this church better. You got some stuff that'll make this, that'll make people's lives better. But if you hold on to them, well, I don't have time to serve. I don't know how to do that. We'll train you. We'll teach you. That's all right. Don't worry about it. Just sign up. Come shadow. Serve. Growth groups, gifts, and then giving. Giving is God. I'm going to return the first 10% of my income because I know that it all comes from you in the first place. And when I do that, I fuel the mission and the vision of the church that I love. I want my church to be resourced to continue on with the mission to help people meet Jesus and journey with him. Isn't that crazy? Sometimes people come to church, give me, give me, give me, give me, but I'm never going to give back. If you constantly take from something, eventually there won't be anything to take anymore. And I'm, I'm so proud of the people who give in this church. The majority of people who are part of this church give. That's amazing. That doesn't happen in most churches. So I'm grateful for your generosity because you fuel the mission and vision of this church that you love. So we can keep doing what we do. I love it. So growth groups, gifts, and giving. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You clap for all of it. The, another way for you to get involved is um, through this journey that we have called Basic Seven. So we started this just a couple weeks ago, and we started this because so often we begin resolutions to see a revolution, but we quit just short. And so this is a way for you to see a revolution take place in your life. And essentially, it's seven things, seven basic things for you to do every single day, except for one of them. One of them happens every single week, but you do it for, for seven weeks, 49 days. 
And so, uh, and you got a card on your seat that explains all the different elements of basic seven. Some of you have started basic seven and you didn't do one of the tasks. And so the question is, are you going to start back over or are you going to quit like you normally do? I don't want you to be a quitter. So basic seven is one where you say, for the next seven weeks, I'm going to do these seven different things. And what it'll do is it's going to help you in your relationship with God. It's going to help you reach other people. It's going to help you do things you never would have done before so that you can see things you've never seen before. And the things in basic seven are basic Again, Jesus has this mission he's inviting us into to, to, to see the world transformed, to revolutionize the world. But here's the deal. If we say, well, I can't wake up early and spend time with God, there's no way you can storm the gates of death. You're going to get incinerated. There's no way. I, I can't meet somebody new every single day. If you can't meet somebody new every day, how are you? there's no way you can go into all the world and make disciples. This is just basic stuff. He's inviting us to a great, great mission. And these are just baby steps to help us get there. So I want to invite you, man, if you haven't started Basic 7, start tomorrow. If you started and failed, get back up and do it again. Don't quit. The proverb says, even though a righteous person falls seven times, they get back up. You are not the sum of your failures. You're more than that. So show yourself you're more than that. So these are just some things that we can do to get on board with God's plan for our own life. But like I said, God has a plan for the whole world, and he's invited us to be a part of it. I want to show you how we can do that. You know, sometimes I wonder, how did Christianity ever make it out of the first century? You ever thought that? How did Christianity, this, this, this movement that has impacted our lives here and now, how did it make it out of the first century? Because Christianity started, I, I mean, it was, it was like a, like if, if I was a marketing director trying to figure out how to, how to really make this movement pop, I wouldn't start it the way that Christianity started. I mean, Jesus was born to a teenage girl who wasn't married. First of all, can we not do that? And, and, and then, on top of that, when he was born, it wasn't in a prominent place, and barely a few people showed up. Some shepherds showed up to witness his birth. This is the Savior of the world who's going to lead this revolution, and it happens in relative obscurity. Jesus lives the first 30 years of his life in a town called Nazareth. Nazareth has 500 people in it. That's like if Jesus grew up in Ivanhoe, Virginia. You've never heard of Ivanhoe, Virginia until right now. There's 551 people who live in Ivanhoe, Virginia. Jesus grew up in Nazareth, this podunk country town nobody ever, who cares? For 30 years of his life, this revolutionary lived in relative obscurity. And then at the age of 30, he started his public ministry that only lasted three years. I've been in ministry longer than Jesus was. I was a youth minister for six years. I started a church and led that for six years, and then I started this church. I'm a twice, two-time church planner. That's ridiculous. That's crazy. Like, one of the hardest things you'll ever do in your life is start a church. I wouldn't recommend it. Unless God calls you to it. I've been in ministry longer than Jesus was. I hadn't had the impact that he's had, though. And then he calls these 12 guys, just ordinary guys, to follow him around. And then he's crucified. He's killed. He's killed at the age of 33. Jesus was younger than I was when he got killed. And sometimes people look at me. I'm 39. I'm about to be 40 years old. And Mark, sometimes people look at me and say, you're young. Thank you. I appreciate it. But then sometimes people say, you're too young to follow. Uh, you wouldn't have followed Jesus then. He was younger than me. But he gave his life, and that was it. Have you ever wondered how Christianity got out of the first century? I mean, it started off, it was a debacle. The reason why Christianity was sparked into a revolution is because of the resurrection. That was it. It was because Jesus died and he rose again from the dead, and his followers saw it. They witnessed 
his resurrection. And because they saw his resurrection, it transformed their lives. It changed everything for them. And for them, the resurrection wasn't something that happened thousands of years ago in some place over there. But for them, when they were living, it was like, no, the resurrection happened just like 50 days ago right over there. Like, it was like right over there. We saw it. When Jesus rose again from the dead, his followers saw him. They saw him die and then raise again from the dead. I mean, he was dead as dead as dead can be, and then he was alive, and that changed their lives. And then there were 500 people at one time who saw the resurrected Jesus. 500 eyewitnesses at the same time saw the resurrected Jesus. Either it happened or they were tripping on something good. They saw the resurrected Jesus. There's evidence for it. And then... Jesus spent 40 days with his followers, and then he ascended up into heaven, and they saw it. And, and this is what sparked the revolution of Christianity, the resurrection. And there was this moment where Peter, one of Jesus' closest friends and followers, after Jesus rose again uh, from the dead and then ascended into heaven, he stands in front of a crowd of thousands of people in the city of Jerusalem, and essentially he tells them, hey, this Jesus, whom you knew... You remember Jesus. I mean, you, you saw some of the miracles. You heard him teach. These are people who lived then and there. They saw him, right? Like he was crucified just 50 days ago right over there on top of that hill. And they would have been like, yeah, we know. We saw. He said, well, guess what? And then he rose again from the dead. Oh, we've heard the rumors. We heard that he rose again from the dead. And again, it was like right over there just 50 days ago is when it happened. And then... What it says in the book of Acts, the, the, the story of, of the start of the church, is these people said, what do we need to do? They were convicted. They heard this story for the first time. Oh, and it resonated with them, and it hit them. They didn't hear it and say, oh, yeah, that's nice. No, they heard it, and they said, oh, my goodness, based on that, what do we need to do? And then Peter Tells them exactly what they need to do. He said, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. When you get baptized, man, your sins are going to be forgiven and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. God's going to come live right inside of you. And I want to give you an opportunity just like they had back then. If you've never made the decision to say yes to Jesus, to say, I want to follow you, the way you do that is believe that Jesus died for you on the cross and he rose again from the dead. And you say, because of that, I want to make you the leader of my life, not just the savior of my soul, but what you say goes in my life, and I want to be baptized into you. If you've never made the decision to be baptized into Jesus, to have your sins forgiven, to have God's spirit come live inside of you, today is the day. Man, the easiest way for you to do that is through our app. There's a connect form there. There's also a form that says, uh, that talks about baptism. Tap on either one of those, and in that connect form, there's a box that says, I want to get baptized. There's also a box that says, I got questions about baptism. Maybe you're not sure yet. Hey, we want to answer your questions. And then there's also a baptism form. If you're ready, man, you tap that, you fill that out. We want to talk to you about your next steps. And that's also why we celebrate communion. When I'm done talking in the next six minutes and 32 seconds, we're going to have an opportunity for you to take communion. That's it, too. If you ever wonder, man, how much longer is this guy going to get? You just look right back there. You can see my time. Sometimes I go over it, though, so, you know. But we're going to have an opportunity to take communion. And in communion, you have a cup on your chair. There's a piece of bread. It reminds us of Jesus' body that was broken for us. There's some juice there. It reminds us of his blood that was shed for us. And when I'm done talking, I'm going to pray. I'm going to give you a chance to take communion. We do this as a reminder of what Jesus did for us, of his grace that he poured out on us and how he's called us to discover the more that we were made for. So Peter preaches his sermon. They say, what do we need to do? He says, repent and be baptized. And so they are. And then they begin following Jesus. And, and the church begins. And these people live in a crazy, radical way. I want to read to you. Just, just how these early Christians start living. Acts 2.42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. This is like reading God's word today and also showing up for the sermon, right? Taking notes like you're all doing right now. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. 
and to fellowship. Man, we can't do this alone. We need one another. So we're not going to show up when it's convenient. We're going to show up every Sunday because I need this. i got to be with some people. This is what these early Christians did. To the breaking of bread and to prayer. So they're taking communion and they're praying. And they're not just praying, God, bless me, help me. But they're saying, God, we need you in a great way. Bold prayers. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. Not, oh, yeah, I've heard that before. No, oh, man, it breaks my heart again. It moves me again. Oh, this is so new and fresh to me. All the believers were together, had everything in common. They didn't all think the same way, but they had Jesus in common, so they had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. They were generous. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. Hey, when's the last time you invited somebody over just so you can get to know them, hear their story? Man, do it this week. Praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. You wonder how Christianity made out of the first century because Christians were living like that. Where people saw their generosity, they saw their camaraderie, they saw, man, it's like they're living for something greater. And people said, I want in on that. But what's happened over the centuries is Christianity has moved from this outward focused thing of we are on a mission to storm the gates of death. We are on a mission to go into all the world and make disciples, to teach people to obey what Jesus said. We are on a mission to let the world know Jesus didn't come to condemn the world but to save the world. What happened is over the centuries, Christianity moved from that, an outward focus, to an inward focus where it's more about me and my comfort, and my preference, and my convenience. What happened is Christianity went from being this bold faith where we got a vision to storm the gates of hell. Wild-eyed. Come on, let's go. To... Uh, I don't really feel like it. I don't really have time. I got all these other things to worry about. I got all this other stuff going on in my life. When did we lose the vision? When did we lose sight of the mission? So the church has become this, oh man, this like docile group of people who just give me a nice sermon. Come on. God has called us to something great. To an amazing mission and vision. That's what I want us to get back to. That's what I believe we can live in. But we got to get on board with God's plan for our life so we can get on board with the greater mission God has for the whole world. Because it's bigger than us. It's bigger than just my life. It's bigger than just what do you got for my kids? It's bigger than just what can I get from this today? No, it's like what can I give? How can I use this movement as a tool to reach people who are lost and hurting and broken? Because here's what we believe, that every person will spend eternity somewhere based on what they decide to do with Jesus. Everyone you meet is going to spend eternity somewhere, either separated from him or with him in eternity. It's based on what they do with Jesus. But I can't wake up early. I don't know about meeting somebody. I don't know. Everybody's going to spend eternity somewhere. We got to get past our own comfort zone to join this greater mission. I want to I show you this last point. My time's running out. Here it is. Peter and John. Peter stands in front of all these people. He preaches a sermon. Thousands of people say yes to Jesus. They're baptized. 3,000 people were baptized that day that Peter preached a sermon. And so the church grew from 120 people to 3,120 people. Isn't that crazy? Day one of the church, the church becomes a mega church. And there's some people who are like, I don't like big churches. You wouldn't have liked the first church then. 
I'm going somewhere else. There wasn't another place for you to go. The very first church was a mega church, and that's a good thing because God cares about people, and God wants more and more people to come be part of, our, or part of his church. And so he wants to add people to the church. I don't like that. You got to get past yourself. This church is not going to stay small forever. But I want a small. No, you got to get past yourself. We got to reach people. We're on a mission to help people meet Jesus and journey with him. The very first church grew to 3,000 people in the first day. And then what happens is this. Peter and John, Jesus' closest followers, are brought in um, for questioning because they go into the temple. There's this guy who, who he's lame, and I don't mean he's not cool, like he can't walk. And so he's there at the gates, and he's asking Peter and John for money. Peter and John say, we don't have any money. But they said, what we have will give you in the name of Jesus. Get up and walk. He gets up and walks. People see it. They're blown away by this amazing miracle. But the religious leaders don't like it. So they bring Peter and John in for questioning. And this is dangerous because these same religious leaders who are questioning Peter and John are the same religious leaders who had Jesus killed 50 days earlier. So these people, Peter and John can be killed by these people. So they bring them in for questioning. And they say, you got to stop preaching in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, which is right in God's eyes? To listen to you or to listen to Jesus? To listen to you or to listen to him? You be the judges. As for us, we can't help speaking about what we've seen and heard. Again, it's all about the resurrection. After further threats, they let them go. They could not decide how to punish them because of all the people who were praising God for what had just happened. Essentially, Peter and John are saying, hey, we've experienced the resurrection, and we want others to experience the resurrection, and we can't keep quiet about it. Let me ask you, are there people in your life who have not experienced the resurrection of Jesus like you have? How long will you keep it from them? How long will you hold on to that? So I'm not sharing that with you. Oh, that's what we do when we don't spread the good news. I've experienced the resurrection, and I just want as many people as possible to experience that same resurrection in their own life. That's why we can't keep silent. That's why this church can't be the best-kept secret in the city of Virginia Beach. We got to spread the word, because God has called us to a great mission. Acts 4.23, on their release, oh, I got to wrap this up, Okay. Peter and John went back to their own people and reported that all the chief priests and all the elders had said to them. Again, they could have been killed. When they heard this, they raised their voices together, all the believers together, in prayer to God. Here's their prayer. Watch this. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of our servant, uh, your servant, our father David. You knew this was going to happen long ago, and you talked about it through David. Why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up, and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed one. So you said this was going to happen, God. And indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate, the two ruling people in the Roman government who made this happen, they met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided before should happen. These two got together, and they had Jesus crucified, and you knew it was going to happen, God. Now, Lord, consider their threats. They killed him. They want to kill us, too. Consider their threats. Consider their threats. Consider their threats and take the threats away. God, consider their threats and surround us with a hedge of protection. Consider their threats and take these people away. God, consider their threats and get us through this. Cover us. Protect us. Keep us safe. God, consider their threats. You know, we're thinking we need to tone it down. We need to tone down the rhetoric. Consider their threats. God, we're thinking about laying low. Consider their threats. We're thinking about not talking about the resurrection anymore. We're, we're, instead, we're going to talk about love and, and stuff that, that people really like. And people, stuff people want to hear but don't do. God, consider their... No, they don't say any of that. Those are prayers we would pray. 
hey, we probably got to lay low for a little while. We got to tone this down. God, give us a hedge of protection. It's not what these early Christians pray. What they pray is this. Consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. They thought that was bold? They ain't seen nothing yet. God, consider their threats? And if they're threatened by that, let us be even bolder. Would you stretch out your hand and heal and perform with signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus? After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. How did Christianity get out of the first century? These early Christians didn't act like us. They acted bold. They were in the face of opposition, and they said, we're going to be even more bold than that because we're on a mission to see the world come to Jesus. We're going to do whatever it takes, so give us even greater boldness. Well, I can't talk about religion at my job. God, give us even greater boldness. Well, I don't want to offend anybody. God, give us even greater boldness. This is what these Christians did. And because of their boldness, their faith left the first century and got emptied out on us. And now it's our turn. Now it's our time. And the question I have for you is if this faith was dependent on you, would it make it out of this century? Or would it die? Because you're living a calm, quiet, comfortable Christianity that's all about you. Now, God's called us to a greater mission. It's time to storm the gates of death. It's time to go into all the world. It's time to be even bolder. I got to wrap up with this. Andy Stanley, pastor, said this. He said, We pray for ourselves. Pray for family. I mean, think about the bold prayers they prayed. He said the prayers we pray are for ourselves, our family. Pray for a couple sick people. What we pray for are things that are going to happen anyway. God, give us a safe trip. The airplane's not going to go down. God, help me pass the test. Well, if you studied, you'll be all right. Let the weather be good this weekend. This is what we pray for. God, would you nourish our bodies with this food? No, because it's fried chicken. That's not going to nourish your body. He said this, if God answered all of our prayers for a year, the only person who would be better off is us. You'd have a raise. Your kids would be in a good school. You'd be healthy. You'd benefit from your prayers. And then he said, self-centered prayers lead to self-centered Christians. We are praying to the God of the universe who wants greater for you. But not just for you, he wants greater for the world. And he's called you to be the church. He's called you to storm the gates of hell. He's called you to go into all the world. He's called you to be a light of love to a lost and dying world. So would you do that? Would you rise up and be part of the revolution? Or will you sit on the sidelines as a spectator and idly watch? as the rest of us move forward to see God's mission come to fruition. Today's the day to join the revolution. Would you pray with me? God, I pray for your church. Pray for every single person in these seats. Pray for our leadership. Pray for our vision. Pray for our motivation. Man, I pray that you would use Journey in a great way. 
so that broken marriages would be restored. I pray that you would use journey in a great way so that people have a broken identity. When they look in the mirror, they hate what they see. I pray that they would come to see that you say they are worth far more than they could ever imagine. And I pray they discover that message through this church. Pray for broken families, broken homes, that they would find healing. I pray that men would rise up to be the fathers that you've called them to be to lead and love their wife and their kids. I pray that when we go to our our, our employers, our place of business, the people we work for, the people we work with would see a change in us and they would say, there's something different about you. And we would say, it's because I follow Jesus and I'm not working for you, I'm working for him and I want to give my all. I pray that you would use this church to rise up in this city to be a beacon of hope, to shine love and grace, to shine light like never before so that people can find their way back home. Ah, use us, God. Elevate our sight from our own little lives to the story that you're writing in history and let us join in on the revolution you've called us to be a part of. We're ready. We're putting on our armor. We're ready to storm the gates of death. So God, fire us up. Inspire us. You've given us everything we need already. And we know some people who are living in darkness, and today's the day we say no longer. Man, because we're going to show love. We're going to live in a way where they say, I want to live like you. God, we're going to storm the gates of death today and snatch people from the flames. Because we have experienced resurrection, and we want them to experience that same resurrection. Because it's life-giving. So God, today, it's not about us anymore. It's about you and what you want. Remind us of that as we take communion here and now. In Jesus' name, amen.